Ooh, love has a name. Mm. This morning, I want to share with you uh, a portion of my testimony. And in doing so, I'll need to give you a little context. Uh, and I've written my words down because it was a helpful way for me to think, you know, to, to really be curious even with something that feels so familiar, what freshness would the Holy Spirit want to show me if I actually spent some really quality time with it. So I'll be reading uh, a, a good bit this morning, but I invite you to listen to who love is. I grew up in Tifton, Georgia at Northside Baptist Church. And my family was a devoted family to God and to the life of the church. I never knew life without the constant weekly rhythms of the church. Sunday morning, uh, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. I'm the better for my parents' commitment to the fellowship of the saints. I knew friends like family. Our home was open constantly to food and fellowship. And my family was not a perfect family. There's not one that exists in the whole wide world. Yet my family was and is to this day still a loyal one. I had influences and mentors and Sunday school teachers who loved God and invested in me in ways that I'll honor the rest of my life by being the same for others. The older I get, the richer I realize I've always been. I began putting scripture to memory at an early age. From the age of 12, I spent quiet time alone with God every single day, reading my Bible and praying and applying what I believed in everyday life. I learned the value of storytelling and performing arts within the walls of the church. No secular venue got to me first. It was the church who taught me how to sing and how to dance, how to deliver dramatic lines for the purpose of giving a message. It was there that I learned the value of authenticity. It would be inside the church that even years later, I would hesitate to accept a, a bucket list, so to speak, type of opportunity to sing a solo with a 300 person choir and a full orchestra. Why? My hesitation came because my church had taught me to do everything from a place of honesty. And at that point in my life, in life and transition, I couldn't sing that particular song with the words of it with any integrity at all about the bold faith that it was proclaiming. It's interesting though. It would be there in the church that a pastor would lovingly correct me by replying, singing it with a desire to have bold faith is integrity, sing from that place. Godly church leaders discipled me in these moments, depositing within me important ingredients that would be necessary as I engaged adulthood. It would be in a Baptist church that I fell in love with the word of God, the active word of God, it was in that context that I became hungry to experience the Bible and stayed up for long hours of prayer that strangely felt like nothing more than minutes. 
My 22 years of history with God had been a consistent one. There had not been one season where I walked away from him. And certainly, there were moments of sin and rebellion as I relabeled activity to justify it in the present moment. But those moments were fleeting. And they went as fast as they came. Loyalty to God remained constant. And yet, it would be in my 23rd year of relationship with God that I discovered I was being stirred for something deeper. Something in me caused me to believe there was more. And now I want to be clear. The stirring was not accompanied by goosebumps or worship song crescendos. Quite the contrary. The swells of the songs only irritated me. They often felt religious and predictable. What I was experiencing felt more like holy agitation. I began to actually feel that my 23 previous years had been void of something that I was always supposed to know. So what was this thing that was missing? Was it a truth? Was it a feeling? Was it something I learned a long time ago that I just had not applied correctly? The agitation rose to a combustible moment in 1998. I was 23 and one year into marriage. Chad and I were in Panama City Beach, Florida, on a ministry retreat with the college students. He was the college pastor, which meant that uh, I, as his wife, was the go-to female college leader. Uh, Not much older than many of the students. I had ironically been assigned as the bona fide adult in one of the bunk rooms. (laughs) There were six bunks, 12 of us sharing that space. And it was not, in any shape, form, or fashion, a pretty space. The only luxurious thing about it was the view to the shoreline about 50 yards away. The windows were pushed open because there was no AC, only ceiling fans, but you could still hear the crashing of the waves even when you slept at night. It was about 9.15 a.m. by the time I found myself standing on the outside of the doors of the worship auditorium. Because just moments earlier, I had been inside standing in a congregation for musical worship. And it was there that I found this holy agitation being stirred up again in me. I found myself walking quickly right out back to the back doors to exit the room. Where was I going? I, I didn't know. I didn't have a plan. I just knew I could not continue to be right there. All I knew was that I was desperate for real. I just desperately wanted real. And I was gonna go to some place by myself and I was gonna find it. Everything in my life for all those years prior had given me access to God and who he is. The family of God was normal to me. Spiritual songs rolled fluently off my tongue and I had logged in more Bible reading and prayer time than most in the room, including the adults. And yet, it wasn't enough. 
In a split second, the only logical place to go was that small room that I felt and just hoped would be empty, the bunk room. Everyone would be in the service. I could be alone. I walked up the concrete staircase to this motel-like room and I unlocked the heavy exterior door and pushed it open. The coast was clear. I could have some alone time. I knelt down on the floor beside my bottom bunk and I laid my head over onto the mattress and I began to cry, like really cry, like, like the ugly, snotty tear cry that we've all been there, you know, the, the, <laughs> that kind of cry, which is why you need to go into a bunk room and be alone kind of cry. But unfortunately, the ugly tears sounded more like angry tears as my words began to form. I have served you. I have followed you. I have given my life to you. I have memorized scripture to remember you. I have sung words that I really meant about you. I have told people about you. I've gone on mission trips to tell people about you. I've trusted you with my future. I offered to go to Africa for you. I am sick of knowing all about the God who makes the waves move. I'm sick of singing songs about you. I want to hear you speak to me. I'm sick of just discerning what you're saying. I want to hear you say it. I want to hear whatever you want to say to me. And you can say whatever you want. Say whatever you want. You can give it to me and put me in my place for all I care. Just speak to me. I can't sit through another worship song or another sermon or another quiet time. I want to know the God who put that sun in the sky. I don't need another fact about you. I need you to speak to me. And I'm smart enough to know I've probably really hacked you off by demanding this of you. But I'm desperate to know you're as real as I believe you are. And I am not moving until you speak to me. Say whatever you want to say. But I'm not moving. I'll sit here all day. I'll sit here all day. I'll sit here all night. I'll sit here tomorrow morning. I'll miss lunches. I won't eat. I am not moving until you speak to me. Silence. I lingered and would occasionally mutter, I'm not going anywhere. Say whatever you want to say. I'm not moving. My thoughts were strangely focused. They didn't detour like they had before in other moments. This one was different. There was a resolve in me, a defiance even, to mediocrity. A defiance to an average way of living with God. I was sure there was something he would speak that would be real, even if it destroyed me. At least I would know he was the real God that I'd grown up believing about. So I braced myself 
I'd put a requirement on God (laughs) and I had a sneaking suspicion he was going to take me up on that offer to say whatever he wanted to. So I waited and I remained focused and time continued to lapse. I never looked at a clock. I kept my eyes closed in focus. And just like that, in a moment, I became so utterly disappointed. The service downstairs must be over. Someone had come into the room. And then, in just another split second, I thought, but you can hear the bolt move when you unlock the door. And you can hear the handle push down really hard and just make this sound. And and that's an exterior storm door. It, It swishes across the concrete floor when it opens up. And the suspension on it must be really tight because it falls back really fast and makes a really loud noise. And I didn't hear any of that. That somebody's in this room. Just like that, I became terrified. He had decided to not only speak, he was going to do it in person. I laid halfway across my bunk bed, paralyzed in fear. I didn't dare utter a sound. But he heard every thought I had loud and clear. Don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. I deserve this. Please don't hurt me. And just like one could denote a moving human drawing near and nearer, I felt his presence coming closer and closer to me. And I knew... He's going to speak. Brace yourself. He's going to say whatever he wants to say. Brace yourself. And this heavenly presence began to so engulf the space around me as if to prove his largeness and boldness. I felt strangely both terror and awe. But I dare not look up for fear of who and what I would see with my own eyes. I couldn't move. It was like I was glued to the floor while my heart was pumping 100 miles an hour. He kept moving towards me until every ounce of space had been consumed by his presence around me. And he must have found more space to feel because I felt him lean in closer to my ear and I prepared one last time. This is it. Brace yourself. He's going to say whatever he wants to say. And his presence seemed to move further into the inside of my ear as if to make room for his words. And I literally heard in the inside of my ear a holy inhale. And he exhaled, I love you. I love you too. 
I love you too. I love you too. I love you too. I just kept saying it over and over and over and over and over. His tears just continued to fall. Nothing else seemed to be fitting or even able to come forth out of me other than I love you too. I love you too. The release of his words unlocked an ocean of tears in me. Tears of gratefulness, of repentance. I knew my place now in this relationship. I was not God. But I also wasn't a servant. I was dearly loved by the creator of the ocean waves. And the sun that blazed that day in the blue sky. That was my newfound place. As one loved so much that he would come close and tell me himself. Isn't that what the birth of Jesus proved? That the father still really loved us. The world, the people of the world that would ever live on the earth. The dark-skinned ones, the light-skinned ones, the rich ones, the poor ones, the ones with homes, the ones without, the ones with hopes and big dreams for their lives, and the ones who are so hopeless that they only live in nightmares. That he loved the world so much that he gave Jesus. He gave love He gave himself to the world. An entitled, demanding, powerless, pride-filled world, weak, arrogant, demanding, divisive, heartless, self-seeking, and utterly lost. Out of all the words he could have spoken, he chose three. And it wasn't the first time he had said those words to me. It was just the first time I'd sat long enough and still enough to hear them. It's been 21 years since that moment in our friendship. He marked me in ways that day that I will go to my grave feeling the impact of. If he never spoke another word to me or through me, those three words he spoke will be enough. They tell me everything about him and everything about me that I ever need to know. The power of his love stirred in me a recognition that something monumental was missing. And the power of his love gave me the hunger to seek it out. The power of his love gave me what I couldn't give myself, desperation and courage and the power of his love didn't wait on me the power of his love showed mercy to me every hour that preceded that one the power of his love was evident in every single day as holy agitation grew in me the power of his love initiated that encounter and the power of his love risked my response the power of his love made room for me to choose. And the power of his love lingered while I continued to enact my own will. 
The power of his love gave me margin to respond in human frailty instead of holy honor. And the power of his love allowed me to be real even when I was wrong. The power of his love created space to override my entitlement. And the power of his love spoke words to me that he deemed I deserved to hear. The power of his love disintegrated every blind wall I had. And the power of his love overwhelmed my embarrassment. And the power of his love transformed it into acceptance. The power of his love wasn't in a rush. And the power of his love knew when it was time for him to lift and become unseen again. The power of his love proved his constant presence. And the power of his love released courage in me to live with a new perspective. And that is the power of his love. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. We celebrate that our king came. That the world that waited for the Messiah could celebrate he's come. And the power of love grew him up. And the power of, his, of love gave him courage to take it all the way to the cross for you and for me. And the power of his love had such boldness to go straight into hell himself. And as the son of man regained the keys of authority for the people he loved. And the power of love pulled him right up out of that grave and gave us hope for life eternal. The power of his love was strong enough to say, I gotta leave so the Holy Spirit can come. And the power of love infills us even today because of who Holy Spirit is. And so we can continue to be excited about the celebration of the coming King Jesus back to the earth. But what happens between now and then is our present moment with him. And the power of his love cares as much about right now as it does for all eternity. That's how powerful his love is. In Galatians 5, we read this. And Paul is reminding those in Galatia, he's kind of stating the obvious in many ways. If you want to be made holy by fulfilling the obligations of the law, just being religious, you've cut off more than your flesh. You've cut yourselves off from the anointed one and have fallen away from the revelation of grace. The Holy Spirit, however, convinces us that we have received by faith the glorious righteousness of the anointed one. When you're placed into the anointed one and joined to him, circumcision and religious obligations can benefit you nothing. All that matters now is living in the faith 
that is activated and brought to perfection by love. It goes on in the familiar part of the fruit of the spirit, but the fruit produces, produced by the Holy Spirit within you. This belongs to him and you contain it. Is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows. Peace that subdues. Patience that endures. Kindness in action. A life full of virtue. Faith that prevails. Gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities for they are meant to be limitless. He's a present tense God. And the power of his love wants to be as evident to you right now as it's ever been.